Well, good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. It's so good to see y'all again. I looked yesterday online because I didn't want to count on the calendar, and it said it's been 62 days since we last had church together. So it is so good to get to see all of you in person again. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for our church. We are so blessed to have each other. We're so blessed to have brothers and sisters in Christ who walk through life with us, through the adversity, through the pain, but also through the highs and the joys. We get to celebrate all of those and encourage each other through all of those as a church family. Thank you, God, for our church family. I pray, God, that as we study your word today, as we look at it, you will speak into each and every one of our hearts and say what it is you have to say to us today. Please speak through me. Please guide me. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would guide all of us as we hear your word and seek to understand what you're saying to us. We love you so much, dear Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're starting a new series that's going to take us through the end of June. We're going to be in this series for the next several weeks. And this series is called Signs. Why is it called Signs? Because in the book of John, up until the point that Jesus is crucified and raised from the dead, John shows us seven signs that Jesus performed. Now, at the ending of the book of John, I believe it's in John chapter 20, John says that Jesus performed many other signs in front of the disciples, but these signs that I've written down are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So that's the purpose of these signs. But what are signs? Well, well, Jesus does miraculous things in his ministry. He does things that are supernatural, and they're meant to point to his glory. They're meant to lead us to believe in him, and they're meant to show us who he is. Jesus has seven I am statements in the book of John. And seven signs. And so we're going to look at those I am statements and those signs basically to see who is Jesus. When Jesus performs these signs, what is he saying about himself? What is he showing about himself? So our passage today, I know you don't have a worship guide, so I'm just going to tell you right now. The passage is John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. So John chapter 2 Verse 1 through 11. Now this is the very first sign that Jesus performs in his ministry. And it's the sign of changing water into wine. So let's go ahead and read it. Starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. 
Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Now, we've all been to weddings before, right? Weddings are not sad things are happy things. They're not like funerals. They're a celebration. They're full of joy. Now, we have a lot of different refreshments these days, but back then, it was water or wine. So if you ran out of wine, basically, you pretty much ended the celebration. It was incredibly embarrassing and shameful to run out of wine at your wedding. It was the bridegroom's responsibility to bring wine to the wedding for everybody to be able to have wine. Weddings weren't like they are now in our culture. Their weddings could last up to a week. All of the town, all of the village would have come and celebrated. Now, if you were not able to be hospitable and take care of all the people that came to your wedding, it wouldn't just be a little error. It would mark your marriage for life. That's what you as a couple would be known for, the couple that was not able to be hospitable to the people that came to your wedding. We came expecting wine, and you gave us water. There's an expectation of wine, and yet they only had water, and it's the same for us because we have expectations of life, right? We expect life to be full of joy, and celebration, and yet a lot of times life isn't like that. A lot of times life is like water. And we say, God, all I have is water. I don't know what to do with water. I want wine, but all I have is water. Well, our passage, it's going to show us what we do with our water. When all we have is water, what do we do with our water? Well, the first thing that we do is we give it to Jesus. We give it to Jesus. Notice in verses 1 through 4 that they run out of wine, and Mary comes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. Now, is Mary just a huge wine aficionado? Is she just obsessed with wine? Jesus, I've got to have wine. Give me wine. No, Mary is not concerned about herself. She's concerned about this couple that's being married. She's embarrassed for them. She knows the the shame that they're going to have to experience if they don't have any wine. So she gives it to Jesus. She says, Jesus, they have no more wine. Now, Jesus, when we read this in English, it's a little bit different reading it in Greek because in English it comes across a little bit rough, but in Greek, when this was written in, it would not have come across that way. When he says, woman, that would not have been disrespectful. That would be a way that they talk to each other. But for us, that would seem a little bit disrespectful. But essentially, he just says, woman, my time has not yet come. In other words, in order for him to produce wine, he's going to have to reveal 
who he is. And he says, I'm working off of God's timetable, not your timetable, but nevertheless, he listens to her request, he listens to her concern, and he takes care of it. Why? Because she simply gave it to him. She simply gave it to him. That's what prayer looks like. Mary gives us an example of what prayer looks like. We have anxieties. We have concerns. What do we do with them? We simply give them to Jesus. We simply tell them to Jesus. And Jesus can do more with those requests than anything that we could do with our requests. Isn't that right? Think about Paul when he wrote to the Ephesian church. And he prayed for them. And I'm going to read you his prayer. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. And he says this. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's a beautiful prayer, but did you see how he described God? He said, him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. Mary gave her request, gave her concern to Jesus, but Jesus did immeasurably more than she could ask or imagine. One of the commentaries I read this week put it this way. Is that at the lowest estimate, 120 gallons of water would be available. So there's 20 to 30 gallons available in six jars. So at the very least, there's 120 gallons available. Now, if that is made into wine, it would supply approximately 2,000 four-ounce glasses. Jesus did immeasurably more than all Mary could ask for or imagine. But it's not just Mary who can make requests of Jesus. We can make requests of Jesus. We can give anything in our life to Jesus and ask him to do what only he can do with it. Recently, I finished a book by Tim Keller called Prayer. And at the ending of it, he put it this way. He said, why are we settling for water when we could have wine? Why are we settling for water when we could have wine? So often we have water in our lives, but we don't bring it to Jesus. We just say, okay, I guess we'll just drink water. But no, Jesus can change our water into wine. Just like we sang just now, tell it to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus. Give it to him. And watch what he can do with it. So what do you do with your water? Give it to Jesus. But also... Do whatever he tells you. Verses 5 through 7, I'm going to read them again. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Now, I know that I typically read through this not really thinking about the perspective of the servants. But when I do, I have to imagine that they probably felt a little bit silly, right? Wouldn't you feel silly doing what Jesus told them to do? Now imagine if I, and this is a stupid example I know, but imagine if I said, you guys want Coca-Cola? 
Well, go fill the bed of my truck with water, and then we'll turn into Coca-Cola. You wouldn't do it. You would say, Cody, I don't trust what you're saying, because, what I, because I don't trust what you're saying, I'm not going to obey you. What I'm trying to say is that obedience requires trust. You're never going to obey someone unless you trust that person. Now, for them to fill these water jars up, 20 to 30 gallons each with water, expecting wine, it meant that they trusted Jesus. They weren't making wine. They were letting Jesus make wine through them. Now, I mentioned earlier that Jesus has seven I am statements in the book of John. And this is the one we're going to look at today in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. These servants produced that much wine, an abundance of wine. But was it they that did it? No, it was Jesus that did it but he did it through their obedience. He did it through their trust in him. And Jesus wants to develop fruit in us and through us. But he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. I want to produce fruit by you. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You're just like branches cut off of a tree. But in me, you're going to be amazed by what I can do and will do through you. But you must obey me. You must trust me. Now, a lot of times, we have it the opposite way, right? We say, Jesus, I'm the root, and you're just another branch in my life. You're just another part of my life. But Jesus says, don't expect any fruit that way. Don't expect any wine that way. No, I must not be rooted in you. You must be rooted in me. I'm the one who can develop fruit. I'm the one who can change water into wine. I am the vine. You are the branches. And when you're rooted in me, you can see what I can do through you. What does this look like in day-to-day life? Well, a pastor I like to listen to, he's a pastor of the church that I grew up in. His name is Josh Howerton. And he puts it like this. He says, whenever you have this feeling that says, God, I just can't be a good parent, he says, but I am. Whenever you say, God, I can't make it, he says, but I can. You say, God, I'm so doubtful. He says, yeah, but I'm so faithful. Whenever you say, God, I'm so dysfunctional, he says, yeah, but I'm so complete. You say, God, I'm so deficient. He says, yeah, but I'm so sufficient. You say, God, I'm so sinful, but he says, yes, and I'm so graceful. You say, God, I'm at the very end of my rope. And he says, I've got another one. And it's as long as eternity. (laughs) Do you see what this is saying? It's not about what we can do. It's not about how good we are. It's not about how good we are at changing water into wine. It's about how good he is. It's about how he can turn water into wine through us if we do whatever he says. That doesn't mean... (laughs) That you're always going to get exactly what you want in life. 
But it does mean that God's going to give you the best, the very best, if you simply follow him and obey him. What he commands you is not just random, but it's for your good. And it's for everyone else's good. And what he commanded them, these servants, was for everyone's good. And they didn't understand what they were doing, but they trusted Jesus. And they obeyed Jesus. Obedience chooses to trust in God and what God can do, even if it doesn't make sense to us at the time. I know for me, it's hard. Whenever what God is saying to do makes sense, then it's easy to do it. But whenever God tells me to do something, he gives me a command, and I don't understand it, I typically say, okay, well, I'm, I'm letting you, God, be the, the branches now. I'm going to be the vine. But no, Jesus says, trust me, obey me, even when you don't understand what I'm doing. Even if you feel silly filling up these stone jars with water, trust in me. Trust in what I can do. I can turn water into wine. So, with our water, we give it to Jesus. We do whatever he tells us to do. But we also, when he changes the water into wine, we know where the wine comes from. Now look at verses 8 through 11. Then he told them, Jesus told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Why did the servants not take credit for this wine? Because they knew where it came from. The master of the banquet didn't know, but they knew. Why did the disciples believe in Jesus and not the servants? Because they knew where the wine came from. When Jesus changes your water into wine, you need to recognize that and you need to know where the wine came from. Otherwise, you'll just be depending on yourself for more and more wine. And that's not where the wine came from in the first place. When you know who turned the water into wine, that will enable you and allow you to depend on Jesus to be your source for wine now and forever. This week I read, there's this group called Voice of the Martyrs. What Voice of the Martyrs does is there a voice for people who are persecuted? Persecuted Christians around the world, this group gives you updates about them, ways to help them. And one of the ways that they gave an update this week was they talked about a Christian in Yemen, and his name is Ibrahim. And I didn't know very much about Yemen, but I looked up and I studied and did some research. And it turns out that Yemen is one of the most severely persecuted nation for Christians to live in. There's about 30 million people that live in Yemen. Most of them are Muslim. Only a few thousand of them are Christians. Think about that. Only a few thousand, roughly, out of about 30 million people. This is a severely persecuted place where if you leave Islam and you follow Jesus, well then, you can face death. So of course, it's not like it is right here 
for them, for Christians there, it's scary to live there. And yet, Ibrahim said this. He said, I was tired of fear, and I asked myself a question. If I believe in Jesus, and this is true, and he grants me eternity, why should I fear? So if they came to kill me, I was ready to say, welcome. God changed my extreme fear to extreme boldness. Did you hear what he said? He changed my extreme fear to extreme boldness. What did he do? He changed my water into wine. On my own, I can't be courageous. I can't be bold. But when I look to him and I see what he has done, is doing, and will do, then I have extreme boldness. He changes our water into wine. He makes it possible for us to be brave when before we couldn't be brave. Abraham, what he said was that I know where my wine comes from. It doesn't come from me. It comes from Jesus. And what does that mean? It means that I'm going to depend not on me, but on him. So even if others don't know where the wine comes from, the master of the banquet didn't know where the wine came from. Almost everybody at this wedding did not know where the wine came from. Only the servants, the disciples, Mary, and Jesus. But even if others don't know where the wine comes from, even if you see what God is doing in your life and see what he's doing in the world, and others say, oh, that's great, we can say, well, I know where it really came from. It came from Jesus. And when you know that the wine comes from Jesus, then you can depend on him and say, God, I'm not depending on myself for wine. I'm depending on you for wine. But look in verse 10 once more. I know we've read it a couple times. But the master of the banquet, he pulled the bridegroom aside. He said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Now, if that wine came from Jesus, what is this saying about Jesus? In Jesus, we find that God has saved the best till now. He saved the best till now. Jesus is God's best for us. Now, in the Old Testament, think about this. Whenever you see an abundance of wine, whenever you see wine at all, typically what it's referring to is joy and God's blessing. Whenever in the Old Testament you see in the Psalms David talking about having wine to drink, that means that things are going well. If things are going bad, we're not going to have wine. We're not going to be able to celebrate. But wine is a symbol of joy in God's blessing. And yet, think about this. Let's flash forward later on to when Jesus is about to go to the cross. What does Jesus say? At the Last Supper, he points to the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. Then he points to a cup of wine. And he says, this is the blood, my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. 
What is he saying? If wine is a symbol of joy and God's blessing, Jesus is saying, I'm giving up God's blessing and joy right now so that you can have God's joy and blessing forever. I won't drink of it again until I can drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. I'm giving it up right now so that you can have it, not just now, but always. But why is he going to the cross? Why is he doing that? He's washing us. Remember, those jars were for ceremonial washing. When they come into the wedding, they wash their hands. But Jesus fills it with wine on the inside. When Jesus equates his blood to wine, he's saying, I'm not just going to clean you from the outside in. I'm going to clean you from the inside out. I'm going to fill you with my blood. I'm going to fill you with my wine. Why? Because I'm purifying you for a wedding. And not just any wedding. Your wedding. And my wedding. What is the ultimate way to tell someone you want to spend forever with them? To marry them. And Jesus says, at my wedding, I'm going to marry you. Whenever we're at a wedding, at least I think about my future wedding. I think, well, someday I'll get to have a wedding. If you've had a wedding, while you're at a wedding, you think about the wedding that you had in the past. Jesus is at a wedding, but Jesus knows he will have a wedding one day, and it will be to us, his bride, his church, all those who are in him. But we can't be in that wedding unless we let him wash us and purify us at the ending of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 5, so we're in the very last chapter of the Bible, it talks about Jesus' wedding and our wedding to him. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What was Jesus doing on the cross? He was making all things new. He was changing water into wine. He said, you don't have my blood, my wine, but I'm going to give it up to give it to you. Remember what I said earlier. It's the bridegroom's responsibility to supply wine for the wedding. Jesus is our bridegroom. We don't ever have to worry about our bridegroom not bringing enough wine. Jesus proves by this sign that not only am I your bridegroom, but when I'm your bridegroom, 
You have abundant wine. You have abundant joy. And you have the best wine. You have the best joy. Let's pray. Dear God, you can turn water into wine. Right now, in the world, it, it feels like water a lot of the time. But God, our hope is in you. The God who changes water into wine. Whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, we know that you can transform it. You can make it new. And we know that in this world, you're making all things new. You're putting things the way they should be. We love you, God, and we thank you so much that you call us to be your bride and that you say, I am your groom. And we look forward to the day, God, when we marry you. We celebrate that with a feast and a banquet and abundant wine and the best wine, God. We know that in Jesus, you've given us true wine. You've given us your blood that cleanses us, that washes away all of our sin. And God, it prepares us to be with you forever. Why? Because you want us to be with you forever. We love you, dear Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.